0: Well, that groundhog was not laying around.
1: Everyone was laughing at the groundhog, but he was right.
0: I was one of the scoffers, I admit. And then we got dumped
1: on. I got a story about a groundhog in a second. It has to do... But let's go ahead. Does
0: it have to do with Pappy Spears?
1: No. Oh, Go ahead.
0: Welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim...
1: And my name is Steve. And I'm going to tell my groundhog story real quick. Okay. So we, tonight's episode is about Ned Kelly, famous Australian. And we'll, we'll go into that in Mm -hmm. just a second. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm so excited. But
1: I'm excited because from halfway around the world and the other hemisphere, we have Neil on with us live tonight. You've heard
0: us mention him before. He's our favorite Australian and he was kind enough to come on the show pretty last minute.
1: Wait a minute. I don't know if Neil's my favorite Australian. Have you ever met Lisa?
0: Oh, fair. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Neil's wife is pretty freaking amazing as uh, well.
1: So, But the first time I met Neil, there were groundhogs all over the place. And apparently in Australia, with all the creatures and critters they have down there, Neil had never seen a groundhog. Do you remember that, Neil? I do,
2: I do. Yeah, yeah.
1: it was right outside. I saw a
2: wombat, actually.
1: yeah okay so we got neil on with us right now and through messenger we have neil so there might be with with that much difference and i don't know how the internet works if it's through satellite or whatever there might be a little bit of a delay but we've done some sound checks and we think everything's going to be good right here yep so but before we get into the show i do want to start a new thing i want to give a shout out to some of our new followers that we have each week Oh. Yeah, I thought that would be nice. So this week we have Elsa, Mimi, and J Blue. So thank you for finding us and following us with all the podcasts that you could be listening to right now. You chose us.
0: Did they talk to us? Did they did No they no, no. They,
1: they they just followed us on the Oh well op- you guys should
0: should write to us and tell us where you're from and what you like and
1: Okay. Well now you guys got two tasks. Go back and listen to each episode that you haven't listened to yet. And I want you to tell five friends about an hour of your life. Yeah. That's all.
0: There you go. Super easy. Okay.
1: So let's get back on topic here. Not that we we appreciate them, but let's. this is going to be a long show, I think. Oh. Yeah. It, okay. it, we, may, we may go a little bit over an hour. So today's episode is a little bit of history from down under. And yes, we are talking about Australia. But specifically, we're going to be talking about legendary, infamous hero, robber, murderer, Horse thieving, cattle rustling, bush ranger, outlawed Ned Kelly. Now, Neil, bush ranger is yes. not a term that we usually use here in the United States.
2: What's a, yeah? What's a bush ranger? Um, okay, so I guess uh, you know outlaw in your language. Um, uh, I mean, you know, you Jesse Jesse James, those kind of characters, bank robbers, uh, cattle rustlers. That, that collection of um, criminal activity, living off the land, um, you know, usually uh, carrying firearms. Uh, uh, that, so, yeah, yeah, very, very similar parallels to a lot of what happened in your Wild West where you had your uh, your outlaws. Oh, So, okay. so just
0: kind of a, like a, a mythical, almost like a mythical folk hero, good, bad kind of guy.
2: Well. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's what they've become. Whether
0: the people of the day viewed them as that or... well, that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that.
1: So this is a complicated story, and we're going to tell you the story, and you're going to have to decide where you stand on this. So for all our new listeners, we do the research from multiple sites. We tried to get to the bottom of the facts that don't necessarily agree with each other, then we put together episode as true to the truth and true to the fact as we can decipher it doing our research. And as you can tell through the Internet, there's multiple, multiple, many sites to go through and try to confirm and, and they're do. they're all true. And they're all true. But sometimes we do have to apply our own logic and our own reasoning. But when we do that, we'll let you know that it is our opinion. And just based off either common sense or whatever that is.
0: Also, one of us is uh, more opinionated than the other.
1: Yes, she is. <laughs> okay. So, but our, our our mantra is do your own research and educate yourself. We don't tell you what to think. You have to decide that all on your own. And I think this show is going to typify that a lot. Mm. Okay. So Ned Kelly was a scoundrel bushranger who led the Kelly gang from 1870 until his death by hanging... In 1880.
0: Okay, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to interrupt you already because we were we were watching a film about Ned Kelly last night, and we I he uh, when when he died he was 25, and so I was curious about how long the events you know unfolded. Ned Kelly, when he started all of this, was only 15.
1: About that, yeah, because we, we don't he's know ex- a young man. We don't know exactly when he was born. We have an right. approximate date
0: within a couple of years.
1: Yeah. Now, Neil, you've actually been to, have you been to the museum or any of these places where these events took place? Cause I know you sent me some pictures from an art.
2: Yeah. I, I, I mean, I've driven through Glen Rowan cause it's on the main highway down when you're going from Sydney to Melbourne, but I haven't actually been to the Ned Kelly museum, but uh, we were lucky enough to have um, a traveling um, show of uh, a very famous Ned Kelly um, Uh, series of artworks done done by an artist called Sidney Nolan Um, he painted them around 1945 Uh, but if you would look at them online and I I did send you one of the images so you might be able to post that for the listeners but um, you'd be surprised how abstract they were or are um, relative to you know they they look quite modern but they're actually quite old but he actually painted I think about 26 uh, paintings which takes you through the journey of of the lead-up to um, um, the events and shrinky Park uh, right through to The Hanging. Uh, So that actually was a travelling art show that came to Cairns and was here for about six months, and we were fortunate enough to go and see it. And uh, they also had some interesting curiosities, which I also sent you copies of, such as uh, his death mask. So basically a a plaster cast um, taken of his face, just after he was hung, yep. um, so you can see what his head looked like. We uh, saw that on another and, show last night. So oh, you've right, actually okay. seen and, that in person? Yes, yes, yes cool. yeah. I I did see a photo earlier, actually, and and that was out of replica of his armour. Um, you know, the original stuff, too valuable and spread all over the place, some of which I have seen down in the Australian Museum in Canberra. But, hmm. um, yeah. Uh, and it would have been pretty, pretty hard to move around in it, very heavy and thick. Um, really? So, yeah, interesting.
1: Interesting. Yeah. yeah, and we'll get into that because it's enough to stop a slug. So apparently, Ned is mm. still—is he still fairly popular in Australian history and Australian lore?
2: Oh yeah, I mean he—he's a yeah, I mean he's a vocal uh, kind of character, um, and you know, I think not—not not, you know not uh, making judgment as you're saying up front like people make that, but I mean, I think he—he's become. Um, um, uh, very popular uh, in a mythology sense, um, without people really probably reflecting on his deeds or knowing the facts otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah and so know, yeah, and, and and you know, it's something that someone that Australians identify with, right or wrong. With.
0: I've always wondered about people like that. Like we've talked about the founding fathers and just different people throughout history who, you know, history makes them into legends, but they were just people at one point in time. And so I always wonder. You know, if, if Ned Kelly, for example, were to come walking through the door right now, what would he think of his legacy and, and you know, would he approve of the fact that he's become sort of this mythological folk hero or would he be, you know, a, how, what would he think of himself?
1: Well, you, you know what? I think we better get into a little bit more because a lot <laughs> yeah. of people may not know who Ned is. That's true. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. We're, so, getting way of yeah, we're getting
0: way ahead of ourselves. We're getting
1: way ahead of ourselves on this This might be a two-parter. But, yeah. Ned is known for Ned was known for his contempt of authority and the law. Australians, okay, Neil, you'll have to back me up on this, are mostly law-abiding citizens, respectful of authority and of the government and the court systems. Is that a fair statement?
2: Well, it's a fair statement now. Um, <laughs> but again, probably in the, in the 50s, not so much. You know, uh, coming out of the convict era, um, and a lot of injustice in Australia, as, uh, as mentioned in Australia, uh, wasn't even a nation at that point in time. Uh, it's pre-federation, so um, yeah, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of oppression. I, I you know, I, I speculate was uh, still occurring as colonial, you know, as, as, as our colonial powers, the British, were in charge everywhere. So yeah, um, there would have
1: been a lot of contempt for British authority, as you know, which yeah. probably is not reflective of, of respect of law and order. Yeah. Well, somehow Ned Kelly. And his legend has won his way into the hearts of, a, I would say it's safe to say, a very large percentage of everyday, ordinary Australians in today's world. Ned has been likened to Robin Hood, stealing from the rich to give to the poor. Others say, in fact, on occasion he would steal from the poor as well and threaten them with extreme violence if they did not surrender to his demands. He certainly had a great hatred of the police, the troopers, or traps, as they were called, and he had no hesitation, some say, in shooting them in cold blood. Ned, from everything that I've been able to read and research, and this was what led to a lot of the troubles here, Ned was fiercely loyal to his family. And I don't think there's any dispute in that statement. The family was close, and that's what led to a lot of the trouble here.
0: And honestly, that is the number one reason why I am pro-Ned. I... I really respect this idea that family is everything and family is first and you do what you got to do to take care of yours. Uh, Some people today might try to make comparisons or see parallels to current social justice issues. Um, Bonnie and Clyde may come to the mind of some. More recent events may come to the mind of others with regard to police matters, Um, social media bans, and accusations of media censoring and bias. But we ask that you listen to this story as history and then make your own comparisons, because it really is a very fascinating story. And
1: after talking to Neil, I'm thinking Jesse James, too, will come to mind here. Yeah. So let's set up the conditions and the background that contributed to Ned and the gang. I think we should start with the gold rush in Victoria. The Port Port Phillip District of New South Wales, separated from the rest of the colony in July 1851, becoming the colony of Victoria, named for the reigning British queen. Gold was also discovered that year, first at Ophir. Is that right, Neil? Ophir? Um, caught me on the spot there, but I found, I think you pronounced it correctly. Okay. You know, I've listened to you enough. In New South Wales, <laughs> and then at Ballarat and Bendigo in Victoria. The gold rushes, now this is why this is important. The gold rushes raised the population of Victoria from about 80,000 people in 1851 to 540,000 people in 1861. That's a
0: so big a, jump a in 10 big years. big influx
1: of people coming in. And obviously, in our American West, not everyone was law-abiding citizens, and it was probably a very rough and rowdy place to be. Mm. So, And this was about the same time as the gold rush in California. You know that old song, "'Twas a miner, 49er, and his darling, Clementine."
0: Clementines so, are delicious.
1: Okay, oranges. Mm. Okay, so this huge flood of migrants was a problem for the colony as there were not enough police to maintain law and order. And the very small force that was in existence was not looked favor- favorably on by the public. And I think Neil kind of touched on that. They were widely believed to be corrupt. Neg claimed he was a victim of Irish-Australian oppression. And at the time... At that time, Irish were not allowed to go to school or to own horses. Neil, did did you learn about this stuff in school?
2: Um, Yeah, to be honest, I I didn't uh, know that there was that level of discrimination until uh, I was reading your your script, so that's interesting itself.
1: So yeah. You'll have to believe me.
0: (laughs) Well, and it's interesting, too, because I was kind of doing some reading last night just trying to find out, you know, what... um, as far as currently, how, are any of these prejudices still kind of lingering in, you know, in different areas of Australia or wherever? Um, but apparently worldwide, there is still some anti-Irish sentiment um, there. Uh, I forget who the, the music artist was, but there was a music artist not too long ago who got in big trouble for really saying some anti-Irish stuff. So uh, apparently it's still out there. Now, to quickly build their numbers, the Victorian police force recruited people from the United Kingdom, most of who were Protestant.
1: Well, going to be trouble there.
0: (laughs) Many brought with them their homeland's prejudice against Catholics, which led them to target Irish migrant settlers. The Catholic Irish were often poor and resented the wealthy squatters who had seized most of the productive Victorian farmland. And these squatters use their money and influence over the police and government to maintain their large estates at wait, the expense. Wait, wait,
1: you know how we always do stuff. So they're like not squatters, but they're big squat.
0: Oh yes, they're big squat. <laughs> big squat. Okay. Yeah, big squat. Uh, they, the rich folks, is is actually what they are. Um, they maintained their estates at the expense of poor migrants, despite legislation meant to improve access to land. Another thought to Ned's popularity is that despite being wanted for killing policemen and armed robberies, it was okay because uh, Ned was one of the common people and oppressed just like all of these people who are losing their land to, as Steve so eloquently put it, big squatters, and we'll get into that more in depth later, but... was it that he enjoyed public sympathy, as a lot of people thought of Ned and the gang as larrikins, which is an Australian term and Neil, correct me if we're getting this wrong, but it basically means youngsters who are mischievous and rowdy but had had good hearts. Is that yeah, about that's right? Good. Yeah. Okay.
1: Were you a Larrican? Uh my <laughs> <laughs> parents
2: want to put <laughs>
1: that. <laughs> your mom and dad listen to this.
2: <laughs> so uh, Ned probably not. Pro- oh, pro-
0: <laughs> So Ned was probably a good combination of both. Um, both kind of a, a le- legit criminal and also just a kind of a guy, you know, just a, a fun-loving young man. I don't know where you draw the line between killing cops in cold blood and being a rowdy youngster full of mischievous, but with a good heart. Um, but I'm sure, you know, there's a line somewhere in there. Um, but look, if you feel oppressed, you're going to side with the side that's against your oppressors. And so I guess some of them just thought of them as killing cops. It's just boys being boys.
1: <laughs> yeah. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> okay. And this is where we get into the the problem. There's, you're either, I, I think you're either going to be pro-Ned or anti-Ned. It just depends on where you stand on all this. Mm-hmm. So Ned was born to Irish parents and then British colony of Victoria as the third of eight children to Irish parents His father was a transported convict convicted of stealing three pigs. Okay, so it's time for a little bit of a history lesson here. Between 1788 and 1868, about 162,000 convicts were transported from Britain and Ireland to various penal colonies in Australia. The majority of convicts were transported for petty crimes. More serious crimes such as rape and murder became transportable offenses in the 1830s. But since they were also punishable by death, very few uh, convicts were transported for such crimes. So, So uh, what, Kim?
0: Yeah, I was just curious about your numbers, because we said that um, in the decade during the gold rush, between 1851 to 1861, the population of Victoria grew from 80,000 to 540,000. And now we're talking kind of overlapping a little bit. Um, that between 1788 and 1868, um, 162,000 convicts. So I wonder how much of that uh, "quote unquote" growth during the gold rush was actual convicts coming in as well.
1: Okay, so I confirmed these numbers through a couple different sources, but I couldn't confirm like if there was a census if these people were counted in there or they were just brought, you know, if they were in the penal colony so they weren't counted. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. Neil, do you have any thought on that? Look, I
2: think that, yeah, I mean, I think the the um, the convict transportation was definitely on the decline, but there would also have been a lot of convicts who would been, um, you know, granted freedom, and then they would have been having families, so there would have been some population growth just happening anyway. But I think some of the numbers that you referred to um, in relation to the gold rush and the concentration in Victoria would have possibly been a bit of an internal um, shuffle because, mm. you know, there were there were large penal settlements in Brisbane, Sydney, um, so there, there would have probably been a bit of an internal concentration from the other... They weren't, it wasn't Australia then. They were individual states, but uh, they, they may have been sort of, you know, moving from Sydney and Brisbane and Queensland, sorry, more generally in New South Wales, to Victoria, which saw that, you know, increase in the Victorian population but not necessarily an increase to the continent Does that, make sense? Yeah, well, that
1: that's interesting though so when did australia become its own country and and the different states were independent the federation was 1901
0: 1901 okay. okay yeah and i it's interesting too if you if you think about it from a convict perspective um, you know, if you were already on the island as a convict, you had already been sent to Australia as a convict, you got your freedom, and you stayed there, and then you joined in the gold rush, what a story that must have been. You know, you get sent to Australia as a convict, you get out, you get kind of to start your life over again, albeit maybe not in your homeland, but you find gold and strike it rich.
1: Well, I imagine if you uh, were sent to Australia, it was so you were sent free, and if you want to go back to Ireland, I bet you had to buy your fare.
2: right. But why would you? Well, I think I think the terms that a lot of the a lot of the conflict's coming was that they were never allowed to return.
0: Uh, yeah. But it so, also,
2: other, I mean, there was, there was a very large uh, Chinese uh, population um, boom during the gold rush as well.
1: Yeah.
2: But a lot of Asian a lot of Asian immigration happened during that.
0: That's interesting because that happened here too. It's like the Chinese just mm. knew where to go and follow the gold.
1: Okay, so Rupert wants to, his part in. You probably heard him coming through. <laughs> He's a but, lot to say about. But I, I, I think any gold rush made worldwide news, and even in the United States, as the gold rush here was coming, there were people coming from all over the world uh, to yeah. try to get a piece of that gold.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So I wonder if some considered a small transportable crime worthwhile. Or free passage to Australia. We kind of touched on this, so you know, like you know what, I'll go. Still, maybe I'm making this up. Three pigs and get free transport to Australia, and then I can go mine gold. Yeah, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think you might be drawing uh, a long bow there. <laughs> okay. um, I don't think it was. I don't think. I don't think transportation was something that uh, people would have uh, been. Uh, trying to sneak their way onto. Uh, I mean, you know, twenty people died on the way. People got, people got sent out for selling a, a loaf of bread because they were starving. So, you know, oh, wow. it need to be three pigs. So but, um, you know, it was w- pretty brutal. Uh, having visited a few penal uh, settlements, and uh, particularly one in Norfolk Island, um, you know, you, you wouldn't be volunteering to go. I know that.
1: Well. Well, there you go. Oh, well, there you go. So there goes that thought. I don't know. I mean, for a chance of making your fortune, yeah, in gold, I wouldn't.
0: Not no. worth it. Not worth it. You got to get there first. You got to get there
1: first. Okay. So, approximately one in seven convict, convicts were women, while political prisoners, another minority group, comprised many many of the best known convicts. Once emancipated, most convicts stayed in Australia and joined the free settlers, with some rise to and some of them rose to prominent positions in Australia. Australian society. I'm having trouble with my words again. <laughs> However, convictism carried a social stigma, and later on, some Australians, being of convict descent, instilled a sense of shame and a uh, and a cultural cringe if it became known that they they came to Australia from convict. I, is that a fair statement, Neil? Yeah. So
2: I think probably. Today, um, people would be uh, quite proud of their of that. It, so, yeah, there would have been a period where there was a the cringe, but uh, but probably that that's that's you know been served out now, and people would like the novelty of knowing that their ancestors were convicts. You
1: know? Yeah, because so I, I,
2: you know, are, indigenous people they you know they're the, lo- the longest the longest uh, residents of Australia. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I I read too that it's it is more accepting, just as you said, in the twentieth century, and a lot of Australians. Actually, like you just said, consider a, a cause for celebra- celebration to find out that, you know, where where their lineage came from. Almost 20% of modern Australians, in addition to 2 million Britons, are descended from transported convicts. Now, I've heard some Australians, when they meet each other, they ask a guard or convict. And they're, I don't know, I, I I'm, I'm assuming that's all in fun, is it, or... Yeah,
2: look, there's definitely no stigma about. Uh, I don't believe anyway from, from stigma in modern day to uh, the fact that you might have descended from convicts. I mean, it's so many generations removed anyway; it's hardly relevant. But uh, okay. Yeah. I would yeah. say
0: that's something to be proud of. I brag about the fact that I'm a fourth generation Daytonian. If I was, if my family founded the, you know, the nation of Australia, that's something to be proud of. What, even if they were convicts. So yeah.
1: Okay, history lesson's over. Back to the story, Kim.
0: So uh, kind of around the time that we left off, Red Kelly married Ellen, a migrant, at the completion of his sentence for pig stealing, and Ned was born in yeah. Beveridge.
1: So he was in the Big Pig.
0: I guess. Uh, he was born in a small town north of Melbourne, probably in 1854. Ned grew up experiencing firsthand the prejudice of the Victorian police, Now, as a young boy, though, of about nine, Ned saved another boy from drowning, and the boy's family was so grateful that Ned was presented with a green and gold sash that he was very proud of. His dad, Red, worked hard, and had cut out a decent life for himself and his family, and the Kelly family moved to Avenel, where they were implicated in stock and horse theft, theft, uh, which was often targeted against squatters. Um, Red Kelly died after save, serving a 6 month prison sentence for unlawful possession of a bullock or a, a cow hide. And Ned became the man of the family with a lot of responsibility at a very early age. His first brush with the law occurred Yeah, in, he would
1: have been about 13 th- yeah. 13 years old. Yep. That's that's eight, a lot. Eight brothers and sisters. I can't
0: imagine. So our oldest granddaughter is 12. And that's like, she is now taking care of everybody. I can't imagine it. Um, So Ned's first brush with the law occurred in 1869 when he was just 14. And then again, a year later in 1870, when he was charged with assisting a bushranger and he got off because no one could positively identify him. And then in 1871, he was sent to jail for three years for stealing horses and this was an arrest by Constable Fitzpatrick, and we're going to hear about him more. Uh, that was a—it was a questionable arrest, and Ned was beat up in the street before he was arrested and sent to jail. Oh, and apparently Fitzpatrick had a thing for Ned's younger sister.
1: Who would have been younger than Ned? And Ned is about fifteen now. So yeah, yeah. he's a little crooked. Okay, again, family sticking uh, family here. So yeah, you, you can don't understand. mess with somebody's
0: okay. little, little sister. Uh, Now, on his release, along with friends from other poor families in the area, Ned formed the Kelly Gang. While membership of the gang fluctuated, Ned, his brother Dan, and their friends Joe Byrne and Steve Hart were reputedly the main members. All four had criminal records, and in 1878, a warrant was issued for the arrest of 17-year-old Dan Kelly for horse theft and breaking and entering. Now, most of the text called it housebreaking, not breaking and entering. Uh, We Americanized the term because that's what Americans do. Uh, On April 15th, Constable Fitzpatrick from the Greta police attempted to arrest Dan at the Kelly home. There was a fight that broke out and Fitzpatrick wound up getting shot in the wrist. Now, there are two sides to this story, which the Kelly family story and the Fitzpatrick story. First, the Kelly family version. Fitzpatrick made some pretty aggressive advances towards Ned's sister, Kate, which outraged the Kellys, and there was a fight, and a gun went off, shooting Fitzpatrick in the wrist. Now, Ned was nowhere near the family house at the time and therefore was innocent, but Fitzpatrick, the cop, said that Ned attacked and shot him. So regardless, Fitzpatrick made it back to town and said Ned shot him.
1: Okay, and this. So we've got as we were talking uh, with he Neil said, before he said. before the Neil or before the show started with Neil getting the sound checks and stuff like that. This is exactly what Neil said. Who do you believe? It's it's going to be his word against their word.
0: Yeah, they're oppressed, and he wanted Ned's little kid sister. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really.
1: Yeah. So. You know, was there a reputation of cops being corrupt back that far back
2: well i' certainly i'm certainly sort of no no expert on it but um you know what I touched on earlier i mean the police were somewhat of a mercenary force at that, at that time it certainly and, and and were would have been funded by the wealthy so to say that they probably weren't necessarily representing the entire population would probably be uh, a fair statement. So I, I suspect that they would have been operating, and you know, to the guidance and direction of, uh, of you know authorities. But whether those authorities had um, you know poor Irish Catholics uh, interests at heart is doubtable.
1: Yeah, that's good. I, I'm I'm glad we're getting your perspective on this because I mean, it's just what we've read. Yeah. But you growing up are going to have a completely different perspective of what we think. But I think that kind of Follows along right there. And I think there is enough evidence right here that Fitzpatrick...
0: Fitzpatrick seemed like a grade A jerk.
1: Yeah, I don't know. But and we'll get to Fitzpatrick more later on in the story. So, the Kelly brothers, joined by Byrne and Hart, fled into the dense scrub of the Wombat Ranges in central Victoria before the cops came for them. The following day, a party of troopers went to 11 Mile Creek and arrested Ned's mother... Mrs. Kelly, and several other family members. Ned and Dan Kelly could not be found because they'd fled into the bush. Those arrested were sentenced to six years' imprisonment, while Mrs. Kelly was sent to jail for three years. This incident seemed to unleash just a fury in Ned, and Ned decided to go ahead and take his revenge. On the 26th of October, 1878, Victorian Police Sergeant Kennedy and Constables McIntyre, Lonigan, and Scanlon camped at uh, Stringybark Creek while searching for Ned and his gang. Okay, now here's where things really start to go bad. Up to this point, Ned could probably, you know, as he, a horse thief, he was a larrikin or something like that. But now, the the the, the, the tide kind of turns. Now to we're Ned. getting into
0: big boy crimes.
1: Yeah. yeah. The gang came upon the police camp and intent on disrupting their plans to track and arrest them held up Scanlon and McIntyre who were waiting for Lonigan and Kennedy return from hunting. Scanlon went to shoot Ned who returned fire, killing the officer. The gang then planned to use McIntyre as a hostage when the other policemen reached the camp. However, a firefight broke out on the return during which Lonegan and Kennedy were killed. McIntyre managed to escape reaching Mansfield and alerting the local forces. Uh, After the deaths at uh, Stringybark Creek, Victorian police ordered the Kelly gang to turn themselves in. So I'm wondering if, you know, Ned got this news, and I wonder if Ned and them just laughed at it and said, okay, if you say so, we'll just go and we'll turn ourselves in, whatever you say, officer. But on the 15th of November, 1878, when they failed to comply, the gang was declared outlaws and under the recently introduced felons apprehension under the recently introduced felons apprehension act
0: now under this act outlaws were stripped of all basic rights they could be shot on sight and could be handed to the police dead or alive for a large reward when captured they could be put to death without a trial rewards of a hundred pounds each which is over eleven thousand dollars in today's money had been offered by the victorian government for the capture of ned and dan kelly up until then but now it was increased to 500 pounds, while similar rewards were offered for heart and burns. Then the guys were none too happy at being outlawed. In fact, they were said to be downright furious, especially since they believed the Victorian police were in large part responsible for each of the crimes the gang had committed following Fitzpatrick's attempt to arrest Dan. And over the next three months, the gangs robbed, bank, robbed banks in y- Euroa. And Gerald Derry. I hope I'm saying those right. During the bank robberies, Ned is, uh, it said that Ned burned mortgages. It's
2: plain English.
0: That, that the bank held. And Thank
2: you with, for Sorry, Kimmy, it's actually pronounced jewelry. I was what?
0: so close. <laughs> <laughs> Jildery. All right. So during the bank robberies, it said that Ned burned mortgages um, that the bank held. And so with no mortgage paperwork, the bank had no proof and they couldn't collect payments.
1: Becoming a hero of the people.
0: Right. Uh, He tried unsuccessfully to arrange for local newspapers to publish his letters justifying the gang's actions and presenting their point of view, including the famous. Oh, I'm going to butcher it again. Say it again for me, Neil.
2: I think I came on and said it wrong. Gerildery.
0: Gerildery. See, <laughs> even the Australian can't say it right. Gerildery letter, which you can Google and view. We were going to read it, but it's really long. Yeah.
1: Neil, do you know where those letters exist now? Are they in the Australian Museum, or where? do you know where it is? No, I, I'm sorry, Steve, I, I don't know.
2: There is a large Ned Telly collection at the National Museum in, in, uh, in Canberra, so that's a fair bet that that's where, where they've, got a, they've got some of his armor and whatnot. Mm quite a uh, Ned
0: Kelly display there. So. We're going to have to That's
2: go. Or, when, or the National Archives, possibly, if,
1: if, for that kind of document.
0: When we finally make it over to Australia, we're going to have to check gonna it go, out.
1: I'm going to go look that up.
0: Mm. Um, the, I, can't, I can't do it. The gerildery letter was basically Ned's manifesto, and he intended to tell his side of the story to gain public support. But newspapers refused to print the letter because they viewed Ned as a bush ranger and an outlaw, and they didn't want him to get any publicity or sympathy, which kind of sounds like the equivalent of a social media ban back in the day. So, frustrated by their inability to be heard, the gang retreated to the bush for nearly two years. They laid low and they relied on the support of sympathizers for food, lodging, and warnings about the police. And again, here are some reports say that while they were in the bush, the gang stole horses and food from farmers in the district rather than the story that they were supported by these farmers. So it's really, we don't know. There's no, there's not a lot of fact.
1: Okay. It's just so, theory
0: and speculation.
1: So my guess is there's probably a little bit of truth in both of these accounts. Neil, I mean, do you, do you agree with that, that? A little bit of yeah. Truth I mean, way. The,
2: you know, the the events the events that led them to becoming you know outlawed, as you, as you refer to it. I mean, there's there's a lot of uncertainty about you know how, how that how that unfolded. But I mean, one of the things I uh, I looked looked at or, or read up on was uh, suggestions that the police had no intention. This is pre then becoming outlawed and you know dead or alive. Um, but there was a suggestion the police were already going out to, with the intention to kill them and bring them back dead so um and that the Kelly gang were aware of that and that's how, why they responded the way they did um so you know again without knowing the actual facts there it, it's hard to know whether their actions were justified or not but to some degree it's been moot because they became outlawed
1: and and the rest uh, sort of you know the events followed after that yeah I mean, because of the conditions and the circumstances, some of the people I bet supported and helped the gang, based off their own personal experiences with the police. If this was as common as was going on, mm. maybe some helped out of fear <clears throat> or intimidation, and maybe some didn't support Ned and Ned robbed them. I don't. I don't know. I mean, there's just not enough.
0: Yeah, it could be a little bit of all, of all
1: of the above. And this is where we just have to speculate, and as we said at the beginning, make our best assumption of what. May have happened, probably happened, 50-50, 75-25, 50, don't know. you got to make up your own mind here. After the bold raid, the government upped the reward for the capture of Ned and Dan Kelly, Joe Burns and Steve Hart, to 3,000 pounds, dead or alive.
0: That is a ton of money. Yeah. You think 100 pounds is equivalent to $11,000? We're now up to 3,000 pounds.
1: The banks in the colony kicked in as well, and the reward grew to 8,000 pounds. That's over $850,000 in today's money. 2,000 pounds per man, the highest reward ever offered for the capture of bushrangers in Australia. It was at that time the Kelly Gang disappeared for almost a year. There were rumors that they they fled the district completely and moved to other parts of Australia. And it wasn't until the fiancé of Joe Byrne's sister, Aaron Sher- Sherratt decided to switch sides and help the police track down the gang so that he could claim that 8,000-pound reward.
0: Mm, we don't like him.
1: Yeah, so I think this is a good time to remind the people of the old adage, snitches get stitches.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And uh, Aaron, your, your time's coming, buddy. In 1880, fed up with the life on the run and the intent on striking a blow against the authorities, the Kelly Gang organized an attack on a Victorian police at the town of Glen Rowan. Their plan involved murdering Aaron Sherratt, the snitch, who was an old associate whom they believed had become a snitch, and it it turns out that they were right. Sherratt's death would provoke a response from the authorities, and this is the plan, and the gang would then derail the train that would be bringing all the cops out there, and they would ambush the train Derail it and just hopefully kill as many of the cops as they could as they were coming to Glen Rowan. The gang then planned to ride to Banala and rob the bank using funds from the robbery to finance a local rebellion by Kelly sympathizers. On the night of June 26th, the gang rode to Glen Rowan. Ned and Steve Hart rounded up laborers and forced them to destroy all the rail line. Meanwhile, Joe Byrne and Dan Kelly shot. Aaron Charette. So, yep, the snitch got his stitches right there. Yeah, Shared's protective detail of four police officers. And they knew they oh, knew well, yeah, because they had a mean, protective detail. Yeah, they were so scared of the gang, they supposedly remained hidden in the house for hours after the shooting. But after a long delay, the officers finally escaped and alerted their colleagues.
0: Now begins the siege of Glen Rowan. In the early hours of June 27th. The gang forced townspeople from their homes at gunpoint and took them to the Glen Rowan Inn where they waited for the train carrying police reinforcements from Melbourne. During the night, Ned released the Kurnow family as Mrs. Kurnow was ill. Thomas, her husband, immediately flagged down the approaching police train with a red scarf, warning them of the planned derailment and thwarting the gang's plans. At around 3 a.m. on June 28th, officers from the train surrounded the Glen Rowan Inn. Hearing them outside, the gang realized their original plan had failed. And prior to all of this...
1: I bet they said, there's a lot more cops here than we were counting on.
0: (laughs) Probably something similar, yeah. Now, prior to all of this, none of the guys made suits of armor to protect themselves, and we've mentioned this a little bit already in the show. They put on their homemade armor, and they prepared to fight. And as the gang stepped out of the inn, the masked police opened fire.
1: And on our Facebook page... With Neil's permission, you're going to see a picture of Neil standing next to replica armor. Correct, Neil?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and supposedly uh authentic in its size and thickness and everything. So give you give you a little bit uh, of idea of you know
1: the, the the weight that the person would have been carrying. It was heavy.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't. It wasn't lightweight. Yeah. Light Um, stray bullets injured many of the captives inside the building and towards the evening, there was a brief lull in the fighting and eventually the gang released the women and children hostages, but the siege continued and Joe Byrne was shot and killed. Having sustained minor injuries, Ned retreated to Bushland back behind the hotel, intending to circle behind the police and wait for an opportune moment to attack. Dan Kelly and Steve Hart continued shooting at troopers from inside the inn, creating a diversion for Ned. The fighting then continued through the night, and when morning broke, another party of troopers arrived to relieve the weary
1: police. They must have had a lot of ammunition. But (sighs) under the cover of darkness, Ned had slipped out the back of the pub. He suddenly appeared out of the bush in his armor, brandishing pistols and firing at the police. Now, let's talk a second about the armor, because we've mentioned it a couple times. The armor was made of iron a quarter of an inch thick and consisted of a helmet a long breastplate, and shoulder plates, and a backguard. The helmet kind of resembled, I guess, like a nail can, and it included, like, it was slit so they could see out of it. But, so their vision couldn't have been very good. Hmm. Their, their field of vision couldn't have been good. And I, I, on our notes here, I have a picture of it just to look at it as we were kind of i No, I, I just... I
2: just uh... I just uh, had a quick uh, search and on Google and found that the weight of it's forty five kilos or ninety nine pounds
0: in your language. Holy cow! Wow.
1: That was heavy. Yeah. Of course, they weren't hmm. running, but
0: it doesn't matter. You're that's, trying. That's yeah.
1: That's heavy. Well, if you if you fell over, you'd be hard to get up too. You think? Oh yeah. Yeah. The suit's separate parts were strapped together on the body, while the helmet was separate and set on the shoulders, so it could be removed easily. Mm. Police returned fire, but they found their bullets just bounced bounced off the armor, and Ned continued to advance. One of the troopers, you know, saw what was happening decided, you know, I better shoot his legs, which weren't protected. And Ned fell to the ground, crying out, "I'm done for." Ned, although wounded, was quickly arrested, and the police and troopers continued firing at the end.
0: Now, at around 3 p.m. in the afternoon, the building was set on fire, and the troopers rushed forward only to find Joe Burns laying dead in the bar while Dan Kelly and Steve Hart were found dead in a small parlor off the bar. From the position in which they were lying, it was thought that they had either committed suicide or that they had simultaneously shot each other. Ned's wounds were treated, and he was taken to Melbourne. As an outlaw, Ned Kelly could have been executed without trial, but due to his notoriety, he was tried in Melbourne in October 1880. Authorities hoped to quiet any negative public opinion against them by allowing Kelly the chance to defend himself against the murder charge. And the judge presiding over the trial was Redmond Barry, who was none other than the judge who had sentenced his mom, Ellen, after the Fitzpatrick incident. Const-
1: I, I imagine you know, judges weren't all that common, so I'd... That's probably, probably just, yeah,
0: yeah, even still... Constable McIntyre was a prosecution witness, and he testified that the Kelly gang, rather than acting in self-defense, had prior intent to shoot and kill the police officers at Stringy Bark Creek. Ned Kelly was found guilty of the murder of Constable Thomas Lonnegan and sentenced to death by hanging. More than 30,000 people signed a petition asking for a reprieve when he was sentenced.
1: So he was... Popular.
0: Yeah. So there were at least
1: 30,000 people ready to put their name on a piece of paper that say, pardon this guy.
0: Yeah. On November 10th, 1880, Ned was allowed to see some of his family members briefly. His mother was one, and her last words to him were, mind you die like a Kelly, Ned.
1: So Ned was hanged in the Melbourne jail on November 11th, 1880. His last words were, such is life. He was buried in an unmarked grave inside the walls of Pentridge Prison. So now you think the story is over, but this is an hour of your life podcast.
0: And we like weird
1: stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so on Friday, January eighteenth, 2013, Ned Kelly was given a church funeral service and was finally laid to rest in an unmarked grave near his mother in Greta Cemetery. Wait, 2013? Yeah, that's what it's Wow. That's what it said. Pentridge Prison was closed in 1997 and the land cleared for development. At that time, the mass grave that had all the criminals who had been executed for their crimes was uncovered and through the miracle of DNA, um, there was enough evidence. They had the skeleton of Ned Kelly and he was positively identified and he was eventually handed over to the family for, for burial. The remains were buried, minus a skull, which was stolen around 1979 and never returned it's whereabouts technically are still a mystery. Ooh. Now, I can just picture someplace in Australia on somebody's mantle is Ned's skull.
0: That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Now, I mean, I, it's
0: not. That's terrible. Yeah. That's, that's thievery. But I still. also think
1: at this point I should say, if you are in possessions of Ned's skull, write to us at hour <laughs> at gmail.com <laughs> and let's talk. Kim and I promise to keep your anonymity. I
0: won't tell a soul, I promise you.
1: We, yeah, we,
0: <laughs> we, we, you have it, don't you?
1: We, we promise <laughs> anonymity for your story. If you would like to be a guest, I have the capability of disguising your voice. I and promise
0: we, we won't tell anybody who you are.
1: And we remember, snitches get stitches.
0: Absolutely.
1: You never Come know. Come over, you
0: can put a bullet in both our brains.
1: You never know. Stranger things have happened. Now, there is a story that says that after Ned was hung, there was basically an autopsy and his head was cut off. For the um, for the death mask, they they and they used his head for a death mask. Some people say that a low level prison employee kept the head until his office in his office until it disappeared again. A man in Australia today claims to have Ned's head, and he's trying to do the honorable thing and he's deciding who the head should go to, or the skull should go to. He believes if it is genuine, it should go to Ned's descendants. Now take that for what it's worth
0: there is a just guy for i forget worth. where he was probably florida i, I mean, think there, i saw there, there was are a, people
1: that claim they've have bigfoot too
0: there's a guy who i forget what his name is or where he was at but he's like his great great grandnephew or something virtually identical to photos of ned kelly
1: so neil you are in australia you're closer to us do you have any idea where ned's skull is
2: I'm pretty sure it's not in my mantle, so I don't even have a
1: mantle. <laughs> Oh, man.
0: Now, Ned's grave will remain unmarked because his descendants believe that given his standing as something of a legend in Australian folklore, a headstone would become a monument and little more than a tourist attraction. So, was he a villain or was he a hero? And why has he achieved the status of a true Aussie folk legend? Despite their crimes, Ned Kelly and the Kelly Gang became infamous figures in Australian history, And today, Kelly's defense of his family and his stance against corrupt officials is to some extent celebrated. However, many contemporaries of Kelly, including police, government officers, and members of the wider Victorian public, knew him as a thief and a murderer. The story of the Kelly gang has featured in Australian cinema, art, music, and poetry, and it's a firmly established part of Australia's colonial history, um... It was, and now uh, Neil instructed uh, or uh, clarified for us that Australia's first feature-length film in 1906 was The Story of the Kelly Gang, but Neil, you said that was the, like the first worldwide feature-length film, wasn't it?
2: Well, that's, yeah, that's what they say. Um, it was considered the, the, first, the world's first feature-length film. It went, over, it went for an over an hour.
0: There you go. And Ned himself appears as a major mythic figure in the paintings of Australian artist Sidney Nolan, which, who we referenced earlier.
1: Neil just saw those paintings. Is that the same guy, Neil?
2: Yeah, Sidney Nolan. Yeah, that's the collection I was referring to. And mm. I, I, I sent you one of the, uh, the most famous one of uh, Ned, on the wall. On the they're, they're interesting. They? If you're into art, um, they're quite abstract, some of them. And,
0: and then also literature about the gang continues to be published more than a century after Ned's trial. Actor Heath Ledger, may he rest in peace, starred in a major international film in 2003, and Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones was controversially cast <laughs> as dead in the 1970 movie. I, I
1: can just, I'm gonna have to watch that movie. We didn't watch it last night. We saw it, but we did I, watch
0: the Heath Ledger movie, which is. Phenomenal! It was, it was really good, good,
1: and it pretty much followed to the script. Yeah, that we—it definitely been is a it's
0: a, it's definitely a pro Ned movie, though. Yeah, like I mean, when the, you the, go into it, just know that it, they definitely take a stance.
1: Yeah, and but but the the timeline seems very accurate and true yeah. here. to, yeah, to what our yeah. research. Yeah,
0: um, the towns at the heart of the Kelly story, including Glenn Rowan, continue to attract tourists fascinated by the Kelly gang.
1: Now, there's a picture of Ned and the gang where Ned stands in the middle of his gang and his brother Dan on his left and Steve Hart on the right. It's a three-by-five-inch-by-two-inch picture which was taken in Victoria Enclave of Aurora and has been pasted on a Tasmanian photographer's card and then glued again to 1920s Kodak paper. The men's signatures are underneath the portraits, although it's widely believed that Kelly couldn't write read or write, it's likely that his brother signed this for him. Hmm. Which, you know, I can imagine if if at what we said about 11, 12, 13 yeah, years Yeah, he became
0: old, the man of the house. Yeah, he, he didn't was, have time to...
1: And when we talk about man of the house, he was doing, like, the wood, the late, yeah, a lot of that labor. Yeah. So he probably didn't have time to go and finish up school.
0: I don't blame him. But
1: maybe that allowed his brothers... Yeah, Dan okay, And again, him. this yeah. is an assumption right here. That allowed his brothers to go ahead and... Uh, and and go to school and learn how to read and write. It is believed that the photo was intended to be printed in a newspaper to garner public sympathy, but Australian authorities suppressed the image as well as a letter in which Kelly declared he was a widow's son outlawed and my orders must be obeyed. And that's the letters we were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier. So I guess to sum up Ned Kelly, we just have to leave it to your own discretion. You've heard what we've been able to uncover and we've, we've tried to report it or record this as not either pro-NED or anti-NED, but just give you the facts and you decide. Neil, is it still kind of the same way in Australia? I mean, is there a big division as far as, you know, this far back in history? Is there still a division? of people still, like, you're pro-NED or anti-NED? Uh, look, I think, um, you
2: know, if, if, if you we are looking for a debate, you'd get both extremes, but I think most people just take it for what it is, which is it's part of the history now. Um, and it's a big part of big part of history. It was obviously important to the people at the time. But as to, you know, as to whether um, he's a hero or a villain, um, you know, I, I think when people frame it in terms of, you know, they were cop killers, no one's going to put their hand up and say he was a hero. But, again, um, you know, History would suggest that there's plenty of Australians who, who do view him as a bit of a, a bit of a, you know, that larrikin hero, um, and choose possibly not to look too deep in the in the actual crimes that he committed. It so, is well, interesting.
0: That's how I think a lot of folk heroes are. There's no, you know, we forget a lot of times, like I said earlier, that there are these are just people um, who were forced into forced to make choices and into actions, you know, based on their life circumstances a lot of times. And they probably, you know, I'm sure Ned wasn't out to be a a legendary hero or anything. He just, they locked up his mom and they assaulted his sister and they, he just wanted to look out for his family. And one thing led to another as such, you know, it happens in these situations.
1: It all seemed pretty petty up until he killed the cops, but then you got to put things in context. Back in those days, Stealing a horse was a person's livelihood. livelihood. So stealing a horse was a serious offense back in the day, too. So, I mean, in America, you, you could be hung for stealing a horse. Yeah. Yeah. So, Neil, when we finally make it to Australia, and you and I are sitting out there in the pub someplace, is bringing up Ned Kelly polite conversation...
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's not a frowned on topic or anything like that. I mean, it's, but it's also not something that um, is a re- probably a regular uh, conversation topic. Um,
0: Are people going to think um, he's a
2: nerd?
1: But as an American, I can get oh, away no, with
2: people, it. People, people, people would probably quite happily tell you their, their opinion, but it would probably be not. You know, I, I suspect if you're sitting at that, tub, you could educate most Australians. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've done the research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, but like I said, but as an American, I can get away with it, huh?
2: Oh, yeah. No, it's not not a divisive or controversial um, thing here. I mean, you know, and and anyone who had a a passionate view one way or the other, you know, would probably be the ones who looked, looked, you look odd at, oddly at.
1: Yeah, I kind of remember, though, when we first met, it was in Washington, D.C., and we went out to the Outback, and you drank. (laughs) The (laughs) restaurants? (laughs) Yeah, the Fosters, and you said, this is piss beer. Yeah, no one drinks fosters in Australia.
0: Do you have Do you have Bloomin' Onions that grow wild in Australia? Like they do at no, the Outback restaurant?
2: Steve, I think I've still got the menu, actually. I think i kept it because it was such such a laugh. So, Drew, we took the Vegemite in there and gave it to the staff who worked there because they'd never actually
0: tasted Vegemite. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. I gave, I've had Vegemite exactly
1: once. I gave Neil his first taste of peanut butter.
2: Yeah. Look, I mean, if you... Way off topic, but I mean, if you if you applied Vegemite like you apply peanut butter, um, it's no wonder no American likes it. But uh, <laughs> Vegemite is just a very very thin smear, like you know, you weigh, weigh that jar a jar of Vegemite will last you ten years, kind of thing. I mean, it's,
1: it, know, it'll last me know, like twenty five years.
0: It's so if you've never had Vegemite, it's <laughs> like it's you may as well just like go out and find a salt lick and just go at it.
1: Actually, yeah, it's not a
2: bad, that's not a bad analogy. Actually,
1: yeah, yeah Neil, Neil just spread that stuff on his <laughs> bread, and he it like it was nothing. <laughs> and we, we I'll had,
2: tell you, I'll tell you, when, when we were when we were living back in Washington, uh, when I was posted over there, um, and Lisa would have to, you know, take things in snacks for kids' birthdays and that kind of stuff at school. She would always do Vegemite sandwiches, and they would always get cleaned up by the American kids. So.
0: Oh well, there you go.
1: Okay, just yeah. for a little context here so I met Neil probably in 1994 yeah yeah, Uh, 1991 because before I went to Fort Irwin yeah but over the years we have visited Neil or we have been together with Neil in Washington Neil then got stationed in Washington DC we were able to make it out visit him there I was in Germany Neil I you were you just got married hadn't you when we, we Yeah, visited it was in, a belated honeymoon.
2: Yeah, we came and used your house as a halfway house in, uh, in Germany,
1: yeah. Was, yeah, and we went skiing down that hill. Or not skiing, we went slaying yeah. down that hill. And you came when I was in California. We, we linked up and met each other in California too, I believe.
2: Um, no, I don't, think we, I don't think we did California. No? But, uh, I mean, we certainly, yeah, we, we certainly caught up a few times when, when, uh, when we were in
1: D.C. Yeah, and then you yeah. came to our house here in Ohio too.
2: Yep. Oh, what
1: yeah. Oh yeah.
0: it's yeah. high time that we go visit them in Australia.
1: I think it
2: is. Yeah, so that's that's yeah, yeah. What's the common thing you know we've always been coming to visit you. I know,
0: right? <laughs> I've been getting after him for years that we need to get out there, and yet here we sit.
1: Yeah. We came we came to Washington snow. We came to Washington DC to visit you. Oh
2: true. You did come to Washington We did,
0: Washington. we left our lawn chairs.
1: Yeah. yeah. So that's anyway, it. anyway, back to the story.
0: We're done with the story. Not yet. Oh, okay.
1: But, but back to the podcast. So, <laughs> so I mean, as we were said, to to some Kelly was a murderer and a common criminal. To some, he was a hero and a folk legend. His stand against authority and his in injustice is part of the larger story of political unrest and protest, which includes the Castle Hill convict convict rebellion in eighteen o four and the Eureka Stockade gold protest. In 1854.
0: Which you can research on your own.
1: Yes. Constable Fitzpatrick. Now, here's some interesting stuff. Because, you know, we kind of alluded that Fitzpatrick this was is corrupt.
0: The, yeah, he's the real villain in this yep. story.
1: Constable Fitzpatrick was eventually fired from his job as a constable because of his behavior and his corruption. So Good. he was a fire. And this is kind of, if you go back, this is kind of where Neil or uh, Neil Eh, I keep doing
0: it too in my head Neil and Ned
1: it's where Ned kind (laughs) of went off on the 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 dark side the deep side of his criminal behavior and just leave you this one last thought when Ned was shot and taken prisoner at the siege of Glen Rowan Ned was wearing his green and gold sash that he was given as a kid for saving that boy's life from drowning so there you go interesting that really must have meant a lot to him.
0: Solidly pro-Ned. I
1: I I have no opinion because, like I said, I just have what we've read. The
0: fact that Fitzpatrick was fired because of his behavior and his corruption tells me that Ned Kelly was in the
1: right. Yeah, but then does that give you the authority to kill all those cops?
0: He was defending himself.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: I'm
1: not, not, I'm I'm not, I'm I'm not taking a side on this. It's just you've got to make up your, if your if own mind. Guess, What's that, Neil? If I was
2: a hazard against, guess, I'd say 90% of Australia would be pro-med, and 10% might be a That's okay. That would be my
1: cup of There you go. Okay. You're wrong. All right. <laughs> so, Neil, we need to catch up. I, I, about this time last year, we were watching wildfires in Australia. That was yeah, that was dominated in the news. How how did Australia recover from that?
2: Well, I mean, it's interesting you say because um, the fires, yeah, they, I mean, that they, they dominated. They started around very early, around September. Normally, yeah. um, fire season sort of starts in December. They were into September and and then burned basically right through. But then, you know, just as there wasn't much left to burn, um, in around. Uh, January, uh COVID hit and it was just like, you know, everyone forgot about the fires. well, I mean obviously people whose houses burned them, forget about the fires, but you know, as a focal, sort of media focus thing, um, the fires were largely sort of off the off the uh, the news cycle and it was all COVID. So yeah. um the recovery, you know, from from what I understand, it's sort of, you know, these things take years but it, it depending on where, you know, how bad the places were damaged and how many houses were burned and that kind of stuff. Interestingly, they've already started again in the West. There was, I think, about 500 houses burnt in, 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 on the West side of Australia on the West Coast.
0: Oh, my
1: gosh.
2: Um, so, you know, it's that whole cycle. And, you know, you got, you guys go through the same thing on the, on, on your, uh, your West Coast.
1: Yeah. Now, just for context. Interestingly,
2: cause... I mean, the, the, two, the two sides of the country have always helped each other. You know, we have a lot of people who go over and fight your wildfires. And then vice versa and all your water bombers and that kind of stuff come our way but the the dilemma they've got now is that the seasons are overlapping so Mm -hmm. that's actually forced australia to buy a lot of infrastructure and actually a very sad footnote i don't know if it made the news but a couple of a couple of weeks ago they um they placed a memorial they opened a memorial because very sadly there was a c-130 water bomber that was out from america um fighting the fires Um, So this time last year, and it it actually crashed and killed, I think, the five crew. Oh, wow. Um, Just out of Canberra, yeah. So they've actually, you know, created sort of a memorial for them at the site, crash site, which is, Mm. you know, that at least least, least we could do, so, yeah.
1: And just for a little context, because I know we've had people who've come to visit us from Europe, and they don't realize how big the United States is, and they'll say, okay, so we want to go see – New York City, and then we want to go to Disney World in Florida, and then we want to go see the Rocky Mountains, but we also want to go see Los Angeles and this and that, <laughs> without realizing how big the North American continent is—the United States. Roughly, Australia is about the same size as the United States, is right?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you if you if you drop the drop Australia over the top of the U.S., um, yeah, I mean. It, I think it's, the US would be a bit a uh, bit wider at the top, you know, where your Canadian border is. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a fair measure. I mean, it's it, the difference, though, Steve, is that where you have a lot of fertility and and population in the middle of your country, we have very little um, because it's deserts and everything. So, mm. you know, Australia is a, a large continent, but it, the populated areas are quite a fringe. Um, the west, the east coast. That you know, it, it, it's it's more substantial. You know, there's there's a population that goes a fair way inland. You know, thousand kilometres inland kind of stuff. On the west coast, uh, you know, there is there's no water when you go ten kilometres from the coast. So, it, you know, it, it is largely just a very very thin thin uh, population down the west coast, and there's not much in the middle at all. So a big rock. There's a big rock there, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is certainly worth seeing. But but you're right. I mean, if you if you're coming to Australia, you've got to you know, got to understand that um, you're either going to be spending a lot of time traveling between places, or you you know you're going to have to come back a few times to see the different things and
1: you know, do an area. Well, when yeah. we finally make it there, I always see you posting pictures out on the ocean and fishing. We're going to go fishing. Is that okay?
2: Yeah, yeah. In I fact, see. I'm going fishing on uh, Thursday night with a neighbor. So we We're got freshwater fishing, but we're going to try and oh. catch uh, some barramundi. And I I think I probably told you about barramundi, but they're, yeah. they're like, you know, you largemouth bass, but they grow to 50 pounds. So oh. they're, they're monsters. Yeah. All right. So we're going to try and catch some of them. But I, I, I am spoiled for uh, the fishing options up there.
0: Tell me again why we haven't gone to Australia yet.
1: Because I have to work, yeah, and it's such a big country. When we go, I want to be able to go and spend like two or three months, and not oh, a week. Oh, okay, okay. That's oh, that's why. I see, gotcha. Yeah, well, okay.
2: when, when you get over here, we'll we'll take we'll take the time off and go touring with you. All, all right,
0: right. So, sounds like a plan. Yeah,
1: all right. So, yeah. Neil, thank you for being on thank and providing the clarity much. and the pronunciations and filling in from your perspective of. How all this looks because I mean all we did was just research on Google and stuff like that and put it together. I think you contributed a lot to give it the perspective of, of an Australian who is lives a part of this history or understands the history.
2: No, oh, no pleasure. It's a lot of fun. Okay. And yeah, well done on your research. Oh, <laughs> no, you, well, thank you. You know a lot more about there, Kelly, than uh, than uh, than I did. So. <laughs>
0: Well, Neil, tell your lovely bride and your girls that we say hello. I
2: will do.
0: Um, Neil's a son, too, that yes, we've never met. He was a baby
2: when you we. You get to meet Josh.
0: Yeah. He, he was, was, a, he was he just he was a, a baby, baby when we. He, he, he,
2: was, he, was, he was our ultimate souvenir that we took back from the U.S. <laughs> and took <back> to
1: America. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Kim. Yes. Get us out of here. If someone wants to listen to us, how do they find us?
0: Okay, so you can find us on all the things. Which, if you're listening to this, you probably have already found us. But if you want to tell other people how to find us, you can find us everywhere: um, Apple, Stitcher, Podbean, Google,
1: iHeartRadio, A
0: L E X A,
1: S I R uh, I.
0: Yeah, so you can find us all over the place. Um, if see, you
1: Neil, we have to spell on some things because we have some we devices have those around. Devices that are So if we listening. say A-L-E-X-I, A L E X I, A. A she picks us up. Or if I say S I R I, my computer picks it up and it starts the FBI doing is always listening.
0: Anyway, um, you can also find us on uh, social media on Facebook and Instagram. It's an hour of your life. On Twitter, it is a lost hour. That's also our email address, a lost hour at gmail.com.
1: Funny you should say that because Alexa, <laughs> I can use as an alibi if I if I'm smart and I need to use it as an alibi. Yeah. Okay. So, again, Neil, thank you for being here tonight thank you with very us. Much. And we need to get you back on just to talk about Australia.
0: Yeah. And just, the-
1: just a whole show. We'll, sure, we'll wait. Know. We'll wait until Lisa's ready to go too.
0: All the things that can kill you over there.
1: Yeah. And all the cute okay, little. And all the <laughs> cute little koala bears and things like that.
0: Again, so. all the things that can kill you over there. All
1: right. So, from our studios in Sugar Creek Township.
0: Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. <laughs> Lots of sources this week. AustralianInformationStories.com, uh, the Illustrated Australian News, nma.gov.au, the Public Record Office in Victoria, newspaper reports of the Glenrowan siege, um, Alex C. Castles, Ned Kelly's last day setting the record straight on the death of an outlaw, Justin Corfield, the Ned Kelly Encyclopedia, uh, Ned Kelly, introduced and edited by Alex McDermott, the G- Gerald Derry Letter... Text Publishing, Melbourne 2001, IrishCentral.com, visit au. and of course, Wikipedia.
1: I didn't use Wikipedia that much this time, just to <laughs> uh, research a couple things.
0: All right.